Hello everyone and welcome to Christianity Unmasked. I'm your host, Jamal Bob, and I'm thrilled to have you join me for today's episode. We're tackling a subject that's both delicate and deeply complex. Why does Jesus allow evil to exist in this world? Now before we begin, I want to acknowledge right off the bat that this is a topic loaded with nuance. It's a question that has intrigued and troubled philosophers, theologians, and everyday people for centuries. It's one of those big questions that cuts to the core of human existence, faith, and the nature of God himself. Why is this such an important question you might say? Well, for believers and skeptics alike, the presence of evil in a world supposedly governed by a loving, all-powerful God is a serious stumbling block. It's a question that affects how we understand suffering, justice, and the ultimate meaning of life. For Christians, in particular, understanding Jesus' role in the existence of evil can be crucial for faith. It's a topic that has far-reaching implications, affecting not just our beliefs, but often our emotional and psychological well-being too. So, what can you expect to learn from this episode? We're going to delve into various perspectives and interpretations that attempt to explain why Jesus allows evil and suffering. We'll discuss the concept of free will, the idea of soul building through adversity, and even dive into some astrological hope. That's a look at end things or final events for those who might not be familiar with the term. Along the way, we'll touch on biblical narratives, theological debates, and some of the most common questions and counterarguments related to this perplexing issue. By the end of this episode, my hope is that you'll come away with a more nuanced understanding of this difficult subject, even if the topic, by its very nature, defies easy answers and change the way you view the world. So let's dive into one of the most intriguing and challenging questions in the realm of faith and philosophy. All right, let's get started. Before we attempt to tackle this complex issue, we must understand the crux of the issue. At its core, the problem of evil is an intellectual challenge that arises when attempting to reconcile the existence of an all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-good God with the reality of evil and suffering in the world. The question is straightforward, but profound. If God is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnibenevolent, then why does evil exist? An all-powerful God should be able to prevent evil. An all-knowing God would be aware of all instances of suffering, and an all-good God would presumably want to stop it. The continued existence of evil, then, seems to contradict at least one of these divine attributes. Within Christianity, the problem of evil takes on an additional layer of complexity due to the person of Jesus Christ. According to Christian belief, Jesus is God incarnate, God in human form, making him also all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-good. This deepens the problem because Jesus, in the New Testament, is portrayed as a figure of immense compassion and healing, yet evil and suffering still persist in the world. The crucifixion itself represents a paradox. God made flesh is subjected to an extreme form of human suffering and evil. This has led many to ponder how the existence of evil aligns with the Christian understanding of a benevolent, omnipotent God made manifest in Jesus. In summary, the problem of evil poses a significant challenge to theism in general, and has specific, nuanced implications in Christian theology. It questions the nature and attributes of God, and invites us to grapple with difficult questions about suffering, free will, divine justice, and ultimately, the character of Jesus as God incarnate. Free will is generally understood as the ability to make choices that are not constrained by external coercion, determinism, or other limiting factors. In simpler terms, it's the capacity to act according to one's own volition rather than being forced or predetermined to act in a particular way. The emphasis here is on choice, the idea that human beings have the agency to select between different possible courses of action. In Christian theology, free will holds a position of tremendous importance. It's often described as a divine gift bestowed upon humanity by God. The theological reasoning behind this is multifold, but one central aspect is that free will allows for genuine love and moral decisions. In a world where every action was predetermined or forced, love would be meaningless because it wouldn't be freely chosen. 
Free will then enables the possibility for humans to freely choose to love God, to follow ethical guidelines, and to build meaningful relationships with each other. However, free will is a double-edged sword. The very freedom that allows for love and virtuous living also allows for evil and suffering. If we are genuinely free to choose, then we must be free to choose poorly, to lie, to steal, to harm others, and even to reject God. This freedom to choose wrongly is often cited as a necessary condition for the existence of evil in a world created by an all-good God. In this sense, free will serves as an explanation, though not a justification, for why evil can coexist with a loving and omnipotent divine being. So perhaps the question should be rather than asking God why evil exists, it should be why God allows people to reject him. Thus, the concept of free will brings with it both the highest virtues and the deepest tragedies of human experience. It's a cornerstone of Christian thought, offering an avenue for genuine love and moral growth, but also serves as a backdrop against which the drama of human failure and redemption is played out. The soul-building theodicy is an approach within Christian theology that attempts to address the problem of evil by reframing the presence of suffering and trials as opportunities for spiritual and moral growth. The underlying idea is that life's challenges, rather than being pointless cruelties or oversights by an all-powerful God, are purposefully designed experiences that help to build and refine the human soul. By grappling with hardship, individuals have the chance to develop virtues like patience, endurance, empathy, and wisdom. In essence, the trials we face are viewed as a sort of spiritual gymnasium, a place where the soul can be trained and strengthened. The Bible contains numerous examples that align with the soul-building theodicy. Perhaps the most well-known is the story of Job. Job, a man described as blameless and upright, experiences devastating losses, his property, his family, and even his health deteriorate in quick succession. Yet, throughout the intense suffering, Job engages in a form of soul-building, questioning and wrestling with the concept of divine justice and his place in the universe. The story concludes with Job's faith deepened, his questions answered in part, and his fortunes restored, demonstrating that his trials served a greater purpose in his spiritual narrative. Another biblical example is the Apostle Paul, who famously endured a multitude of sufferings including imprisonment, beatings, and eventually martyrdom. Despite these hardships, or perhaps because of them, Paul's writings are rich in theological insight and depth. His suffering allows him a unique perspective on the nature of faith, grace, and the peace that surpasses all understanding, as he puts it in Philippians 4-7. He even goes as far as to boast in his sufferings, seeing them as a form of participation in the sufferings of Christ and as a means of building character. In summary, the soul-building theodicy offers a lens through which to view suffering as not merely a problem to be solved, but as a feature of human existence that has the potential for great spiritual significance. While it may not answer every question about why God allows evil or suffering, it provides a framework for understanding how trials can serve greater, transformative ends. When discussing the problem of evil, it's important to differentiate between moral evil, which arises from human actions, and natural evil, which encompasses suffering and destruction not directly attributable to human agency. Natural evil includes phenomena like earthquakes, tsunamis, hurricanes, and other natural disasters that bring about immense suffering and loss of life. In these instances, it's not a human's will that has intentionally inflicted pain, rather, it's a consequence of natural processes or events in the world. In Christian theology, several interpretations attempt to grapple with the presence of natural evil. One traditional explanation centers around the concept of the fall, the disobedience of Adam, and even the Garden of Eden as described in the book of Genesis. According to this perspective, the fall resulted not just in moral decay but also in the corruption of the natural world. That is, the earth itself became fallen, leading to natural disasters, disease, and other forms of suffering beyond human control. Another theological viewpoint suggests 
that these phenomena are cosmic consequences of sin or spiritual warfare, not just at the human level, but on a grand, universal scale. In other words, natural evils may be the result of a cosmic imbalance caused by the presence of sin, and evil in the spiritual realm. This view, while less commonly held, introduces the idea that our world is part of a larger spiritual ecosystem where good and evil are constantly in flux. Yet another interpretation posits that natural evils could serve higher divine purposes, much in the same vein as the soul-building theodicy. For example, some argue that natural disasters, while undoubtedly causing suffering, may also offer opportunities for human solidarity, compassion, and spiritual growth. They catalyze communities to come together, often in inspiring ways, and can serve as a reminder of the importance of ethical living and preparation for the afterlife. In some, Natural evil presents a significant challenge to Christian theology, forcing us to confront the uncomfortable reality of suffering that appears to be outside of human control. While various interpretations exist within the Christian tradition to explain the presence of such evil, it remains a complex issue, with no single explanation universally accepted. However, whether seen as a result of the fall, as cosmic consequences, or as opportunities for spiritual growth, natural evil invites deep theological reflection on the nature of God, the created order, and the ultimate meaning of human existence. The role of Jesus in addressing the question of evil and suffering adds a unique dimension to Christian theology. According to Christian doctrine, Jesus is not a remote, indifferent deity, but God incarnate, God in human flesh. This means that Jesus, through his life, passion, and crucifixion, he personally experienced human suffering. In theological terms, we could say that Jesus is a suffering God, someone who took on the frailty, vulnerability, and pain of human existence. This idea is especially poignant during his passion, the period leading up to his crucifixion, where he underwent betrayal, humiliation, and excruciating physical agony. This leads to the Christian concept of redemptive suffering. Jesus' suffering was not pointless, rather, it was part of a grander divine plan for the redemption of humanity. His death on the cross is seen as an atoning sacrifice, a means by which human sins are forgiven, and the relationship between God and humanity is restored. This idea imbues suffering with potential meaning and purpose, positing that even the most intense forms of human agony may be part of a larger redemptive story. Moreover, Jesus' earthly ministry includes numerous instances where he actively alleviates suffering through miracles and healing. Whether it's healing the blind, curing lepers, or raising the dead, Jesus demonstrates a divine willingness and ability to intervene in the natural world to reduce or eliminate suffering. These actions do not eliminate the presence of evil or suffering in the world entirely, but they serve as powerful counterpoints, examples that God is not indifferent to human pain. Thus, the role of Jesus in addressing evil is multifaceted. As a suffering God, he shares in our pain and offers a model of redemptive suffering, he also actively intervened during his earthly ministry to alleviate suffering, showing that, while evil exists, it is not outside the reach of divine compassion and action. Through both his experience and his teachings, Jesus provides a lens through which Christians can interpret and find meaning in the problem of evil. Let's dive into the concept of eschatological hope within Christian theology. Eschatology refers to the study of end things or ultimate realities, including the fate of individuals, the destiny of the world, and the nature of time itself as understood in the Christian tradition. While many religions and philosophies offer theories about what happens after death or at the end of the world, Christian eschatology provides a distinct vision rooted in biblical narratives and traditions. One of the most compelling aspects of Christian eschatology is the promise, albeit a utopian promise, is one of a new heaven and new earth. This idea, particularly found in the book of Revelation, envisions a future where God will finally and fully eradicate all forms of evil and suffering. In this renewed creation, there will be no more death, sorrow, or pain. Everything will be made new. This is a profound hope for those who wrestle 
with the problem of evil because it suggests that evil is not an eternal aspect of reality, it has an expiration date. The eschatological hope within Christianity not only promises an end to personal suffering, but also points towards the redemption and restoration of the entire cosmos. Nature itself, marred by natural evils like disasters and disease, will be restored to its intended glory. This holistic vision is what sets Christian eschatological hope apart. It is not just about saving souls, but about redeeming the totality of creation. This future-oriented hope doesn't negate the real and profound suffering experienced in the here and now, but it does provide a framework for understanding that suffering and evil are not the ultimate realities. The Christian narrative argues that we live in a penultimate reality, a world that is not yet in its final form. Eschatological hope, therefore, offers a lens through which to view suffering and evil as transient, albeit painful, elements within a much grander and ultimately redemptive story. In summary, eschatological hope in Christian theology offers a future-oriented perspective that anticipates the end of all forms of evil and suffering. By focusing on the promise of a new heaven and new earth, Christianity provides a framework for understanding current suffering within the context of an ultimate divine plan for redemption and renewal. Let's explore some counter-arguments to these common questions surrounding the problem of evil within Christian theology. Firstly, the question, why doesn't Jesus stop all evil? This is a complex issue, but one argument in Christian theology hinges on the idea of free will. As discussed earlier, free will allows for genuine love and moral choices. However, the freedom to choose good over evil also necessitates the possibility of choosing evil over good. Were God to intervene in every instance of potential evil, it would nullify human free will. Another angle is the concept of soul-building theodicy, which suggests that suffering, while painful, can contribute to spiritual growth and character formation. Therefore, stopping all evil might also stop the mechanisms by which humans grow spiritually and morally. The concept of hell often raises questions about eternal suffering. How can a loving God allow such a fate? One counterargument posits that hell is less about punishment and more about choices. In this view, hell represents the ultimate respect for human free will. If someone chooses a life separate from God, God honors that choice eternally. Others argue for a metaphorical interpretation of hell, suggesting that the biblical descriptions are symbolic of a state of ultimate separation from God, rather than a place of literal, eternal torment. Regarding atheistic arguments that point to the problem of evil as evidence against God's existence, several counterpoints can be offered. One is that the problem of evil assumes a moral framework, distinguishing between good and evil, in which objective moral values exist. But objective moral values are difficult to ground in a purely atheistic, naturalistic worldview. In other words, calling something evil already presupposes a moral law, and a moral law suggests a moral lawgiver. Additionally, while the existence of evil presents a problem for theism, it is not definitive proof against it. Many theists argue that the existence of God provides the most plausible context in which the problem of evil can be addressed and resolved. In some, while the questions surrounding the problem of evil are challenging, they are not without possible responses within the Christian theological framework. Whether through the lens of free will, soul-building, or the nature of morality itself, Christian theology offers counter-arguments that seek to reconcile the existence of an all-good, all-powerful God with the realities of suffering and evil. Let's wrap up our deep dive into the topic of why Jesus allows evil to exist. We've covered a lot of ground, touching upon the philosophical and theological challenges posed by the existence of evil in a world governed by an all-powerful, all-good God. We discuss how the free will theodicy posits that God grants humans the freedom to make moral choices, even if those choices result in evil. The soul-building theodicy suggests that suffering and trials may serve as opportunities for spiritual and moral growth. We also explored the complex issue of natural evil, pointing to various Christian interpretations 
that seek to reconcile suffering beyond human control with a loving God. We then shifted our focus to the role of Jesus in addressing evil, emphasizing his unique position as a suffering God who experienced human pain and sorrow, yet also actively alleviated suffering through miracles and healings. Finally, we talked about eschatological hope, the Christian anticipation of a new heaven and new earth where evil and suffering will be no more. Now, as we come to a close, I would like to unpack some of my own personal thoughts on this topic. I think the reason why people tend to have this question, of well, if Jesus is a loving God, then why would he allow such terrible things to happen in this world comes down to the very idea of pain and suffering, because I think in the secular world there really is no answer for the question of pain and suffering. We're either told that pain and suffering is a result of material inequality or intentional harm, but we never are really given any meaning behind why that pain exists. We are never told the deeper purpose of it. I do believe that Jesus can tell us what this pain actually amounts to, opposed to the idea of pain just simply being pain. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. Your time and attention mean a lot, and I hope this discussion has given you some insights, or at least food for thought, on the complex topic of why Jesus allows evil to exist in the world. These are questions that have puzzled and challenged humanity for centuries, and while we may not have all the answers, the journey of asking the questions is valuable in itself. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for future topics, I'd love to hear from you. You can connect with me on social media. Before signing off, if you found value in this podcast, it would mean the world to me if you could share it with someone you think might benefit from it. That wraps it up for today. Until next time, stay curious, stay thoughtful, and keep seeking the truth wherever it may lead you. And with that, this is Jamal Bob, signing off from Christianity Unmasked.